I want to talk a few minutes tonight about separated unto the Lord. Separated unto the Lord. And, uh, you know, in the Old Testament, there was a temple that was, uh, that was made for the worship of the Lord. And there were different things, objects of worship that were put into that temple. And those things were consecrated. They were separated. Consecrated and separated are, are similar. Uh, consecrated, they were set apart. They were separated for a specific purpose and a specific use. And that's the only thing that they were used for. They weren't used for anything else, and they weren't used for any other purpose except for the purpose of the Lord. And I think that many times we as Christians, if we're not careful... We don't really think of us in those terms as being separated unto the Lord or being consecrated, dedicated unto the Lord. But we have been created for his purpose and for his pleasure. And he is the reason that we live. He's the reason that we have life. And, uh, and, and I believe that we are in the midst of a culture that they seek long-lasting relationships for they, they seek love, they seek position and mutual satisfaction. But I believe that even Christians are voluntarily removing what we refer to as the armor of God piece by piece until really what remains is the helmet of salvation. You know the different articles in the armor of the Lord and the helmet of salvation. Just as Delilah wooed Samson into surrendering his heart, there are non-believers that are doing the same things to influence once strong Christians today. The devil is doing his best to try to get people to influence Christians, men and women of God, to kind of back off a little bit from their Christianity and back away from their faith. And, and they're doing it, and Christians are willingly going along with it and sometimes it's gradual at first and sometimes they don't really, it happens and they don't really realize that it's happened. But the question is, really is, will the once firm and steadfast women of God recognize that they have been deceived by the enemy and purpose to return in full measure to a life of purity and holiness before the Lord? Because the Bible says without holiness, no one will see God. We have been set apart for his purpose. We have been consecrated for his purpose. But to be separated unto the Lord takes a decision of the will. And we say, I purpose to be separated. I had a great analogy that I thought about bringing. And I thought, well, I'm not sure how it would work out live like this. And I didn't have time to rehearse it. But. I thought, you know, if you take an egg, and you can picture if I put an egg in a glass here, you can clearly tell what the yolk is and what the white part of the egg is. You can tell the difference. You can see it. And, and if you were to compare that, you could say, well, you know, if the Christian represents the, 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 the yolk and the world represents the, uh, the, the white part of the egg, then... Um, you can see that there clearly there's a separation. You can even go in and scoop out that yolk and you can separate it. 
And you can say, well, I'm going to use anybody that's cooked. You can separate that part. You can put it out here into the other area. And they're separate. They're not together. But you can take a fork or a beater and you can mix those things up. And then you can't tell the difference between one and the other. They look the same. And in a spiritual context, I think that's what's happened many times is people have gotten all mixed up and they've got combined with the world and the world values. And then when people look, they can't see a yoke. They can't see the white. They just see the mixture of what is. And that's not what God has called us to be. He's called us to be separated unto the Lord. I want to read some scripture tonight. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 14 says this. And this is, it says, do not be yoked. And even though I talked about an egg, it's not yoked like the yolk of an egg. But do, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them. And I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, in light of all of this, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you, and I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Chapter 7, verse 1. Therefore, since we have these promises dear friends let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit perfecting holiness out of reverence for god in god's eyes there's two categories of people there are those who are in christ and those who are not there are the righteous and they're the wicked they're the righteous and the unrighteous they're believers they're unbelievers those that are on their way to heaven and those that are on their way to hell. That's pretty much it. There's no real in-between. There's not any in-between at all. And there's a few points that I think these scriptures talk about. Number one says we're not to, there's no yoke with unbelievers. No yoke with believers, with unbelievers. When the scripture tells Christians not to be yoked together with unbelievers, it's because it is an unequal yoke as the King James calls it. In this verse, yoke is a military term that basically means keep your own ranks. It means do not leave Christians and join together with other unbelievers. That means you're supposed to keep company with Christians in your intimate friendships and your associations. Now, I'm not here to say that we're supposed to live in a utopian society and that we're supposed to shun everything, everybody who's not a Christian. That's not what the Word of God teaches. But it's clear, and there are some, there are some churches that will teach that. They will teach, well, don't have anything to do, just minimally, just interact with people, but don't be friendly to nobody else. Just, you know, just do that. That's not what we're talking about here. But as believers, we are instructed not to be partnered with or in intimate associations with unbelievers. 
This is true for business, for close friendships, dating, and marriage. The close associations with unbelievers should be only as necessary or to show them the way of salvation. We're talking about having that intimacy and that closeness, that heart-to-heart -heart friendship and those relationships. Because um, the, the, the Lord knows, and if you're a parent, grandparent, you know what close associations with friendships. How many of you have ever said something that you've, you've picked up from somebody else saying it? How many of you have ever found yourself repeating something that you've heard something, even in popular and culture, you've done it because there's been an influence from that person onto your life, good or bad. It doesn't make any difference. There's an influence that's there. And the more you surround yourself with unbelievers and the less you surround yourself with true Christians and followers of Jesus Christ, the greater the influence is of the unbelievers than it is for the followers of Jesus Christ and that, that influence that should be on you. So you want a godly influence. Number two is common ground. Verse 15 says, what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? And verse 14 through 16 kind of lines this out. I mean, Christians can try to find common ground with an unbeliever, which includes others that express their belief that, oh, there's many paths to God. Uh, you know, and they'll say, well, it really doesn't matter what we believe. You know, we can still be close friends. That's not what your Bible says. That's not what your Bible says. Well, what do you mean? Am I not supposed to even talk to people? That's not what I'm saying. I'm talking about intimate, close friendships. I'm talking about where you get on a heart-to-heart -heart where you're you're like seeking advice from other people. They're seeking advice from you. And and there's this, this bond that's there. If that's an unbeliever, that's not supposed to happen. While our society may place a high importance on interfaith alliances and, and, and so that all faith or no faith is really all equal and acceptable, we're all just going to coexist together. There is no common ground as the one true God of the Scriptures sees it, and His is the only opinion that really matters. So on one side, you've got righteousness, on the other side, you've got unrighteousness. You've got light and you've got darkness. You've got Christ and you've got Belial, which is not a term that probably we use very often. I don't really ever use it at all. But it, what that really means from the Hebrew, it means worthless. It means wickedness. It's a New Testament name for Satan. And, and every reference in the Old Testament is used of evil men and the sons of Belial. In the same sense, the New Testament speaks of being children of the devil. So really, if you're talking about that, you're talking about Christ, you're talking about the devil and his agents and people he, use, people he uses. There is no, there's the, you have on one side, you have the believer. On the other side, you have the unbeliever, which is really the infidel which is one who disbelieves the inspiration of scriptures and the divine origins of Christianity. Why would we align ourselves in a close and intimate friendship and relationship with somebody who doesn't really even believe the scriptures or, or believe that, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that, we, that the God of the Bible is not something that they hold to? Why would we have that when the Word of God tells us we shouldn't? Then you have the temple of God, and then you have idols or other gods of importance in verse 16 we as un we as born again believers are the temple of the living god and we are a place of habitation for the holy spirit in both the old testament and the new testament the idols represented demons or demonic activity the worst form of idolatry was to erect 
idols in God's own temple. And that was done. We must never desecrate our bodies by allowing demonic influences to access the, uh, the way that... The, to access us on the inside that the way that unbelievers have. When we allow the enemy to have a place in our lives and we allow something that is ungodly to take root, then what happens is that erects itself as an idol in your heart and in your life and it is adverse to the being the temple of the Holy Spirit because those are not coexistent. There will never be common ground with an unbeliever that is acceptable to God. Proverbs 3 verse 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding in all your ways. Everybody say all. all. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your path straighter. He will direct your paths. He will make sure that you know which way you're supposed to go. When you trust Him and you don't lean on to what you understand, well, it seems innocuous enough or it seems like it's probably okay. Don't trust your emotions. Don't trust your own human wisdom to come up with the solution or, or the discernment for a situation or a relationship. Trust what the Word of God tells you. In the last part of verse 16, it says he lives with us. He walks among us. He will be our God and we will be his people. Number three is to be separate, which is what we talked, talked about being the point today. Be separate. We are called to be separate from the corrupt world system. Jesus prayed for his disciples in John 17, verse 15. My prayer is, not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Second Timothy verse 3 says, But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves. I mean, you've seen selfish people. They'll be lovers of money. I mean, you've seen greedy people. They will be boastful. Oh, look at what I did. They'll be proud. I'm going to just uh, accept who I am and I'm going to live it out there boldly so everybody can see it. They'll be abusive. There are people that seek to hurt other people. That's just how they live. There'll be people that are disobedient to their parents. And this goes to grandparents as well. I don't care what age you are. You're supposed to honor your parents and your grandparents. Now, I know that there are some situations to where there's been a history that has happened. And maybe there's not a good relationship that has been established or there's been one that's not good. But when it comes to respect and honor, we're supposed to honor those people. I, I've seen people who have just literally almost cursed their parents out. And I'm thinking, you know, it's one thing to have had something that's happened that's been really hurtful and, and maybe you're, you're just not in the relationship that you'd like to be. But it's a whole different ball game when you go in and you just attack and you attack. That is not godlike. It is not Christ-like. There are people that are out there that are like that. Uh, there's disobedience. They're ungrateful. There's, if there's ever been a time when people are just, they're not even thankful. They don't know, they don't know gratitude. They know entitlement. They're unholy, which means everything that the Word of God and the life of Christ isn't, that's, that's what they are. 
They're without love. They're unforgiving. Oh, I'm not going to forgive you. You, you. You've just done too much. They're slanderous. Just check social media. They're slanderous. They spew out all kinds of stuff. Whether it's true or not, they spew it out. And they spew it out in such a way that they want to push the right buttons or the wrong buttons of, of somebody else. They're without self-control. I'm just going to do whatever I want to do and nobody's going to tell me any different. That's really where a lot of people are today. Talking about this being the last days, these are demonstrated characteristics of things that we witness, I believe, in this day that we're living in. They're brutal, not lovers of the good. They're treacherous, they're rash, they're conceited, they're lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. They have a form of godliness but denying its power. Well, I think it's all well and good. I'm just going to identify with the church and identify with God and, and I'm going to look the part like I'm a Christian. And verse 5 closes with this, have nothing to do with such people. Have nothing to do blatant sinners who have no interest in the things of God. Have nothing to do with those people. James 1.27 says, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after the orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. That's exactly why, because if we involve ourselves in close and intimate friendships and encounters with people who behave like this and who act this way, then it's going to be like pollution that just attaches itself to us. And we don't need that. I remember in the, in the, uh, in the Old Testament, the book of Genesis, when Lot was in uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, there's a part of the scripture that says, um, he was, in his heart, he was distressed. He was, um, uh, that's not the exact word, but he was, he was overwhelmed in his heart and, and he was surrounded by sin and it bothered him. It caused him to just be in this state of, 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 of despair and just uncomfortableness. And in our world today of people crying out for acceptance, they're crying out for acceptance of me, my life, and my sin, and my this, and my that. All of these things that we've talked about here, don't judge me because, because um, you're not supposed to judge me. That's not what the Bible says. It says don't judge unless you're ready for the judgment to come back to you. Somebody say, well, I'm not here to judge or condemn, but I believe we can be fruit inspectors. What kind of fruit do we display? Friendship with the world, which is really what we're talking about. And it's a popular message. We want to walk, not we, but many want to water down the gospel message of Jesus Christ and make it more palatable so that other people won't feel offended and they'll get to the place where they're like, well, you know, this isn't such a bad place to be at all. You people are really great. And all the while, every sin imaginable is condoned and overlooked and people are going to hell because they're not living according to the word of God. 
and everybody thinks they're okay and they're not okay. Friendship with the world is spiritual adultery, which is unfaithfulness to God in the context of what James writes in James 4.4. He said, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. That's pretty strong. It's pretty strong. Well, it's okay. I'm just going to hang out with my with I'm just going to hang out with this group of friends over here. They don't know God, but I'm going to win them to the Lord. Well, how are you going to do that? Do you ever talk to them about the Lord? Well, no, it just eventually it'll work around to it. No, that's not what the scripture says. If you've got a purpose to win them to the Lord, win them to the Lord, that's okay. But to go around and just hang out where they hang out, and you're not hanging out with Christian brothers and sisters, something's not right. Something is not right. I know this is a popular message. Don't shout me down because I'm preaching good. Um but anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes a, an enemy of God. We are also called to be separate from those in the church who refuse to repent. Did you know that? People that call themselves Christians, they go to church, but yet they still blatantly live in sin. I'm not talking about people where, you know, God's working on them and they're, they're a work in progress and they're trying and they're trying and, and maybe they, they mess up and they fall. Maybe they, maybe they sin and they shouldn't have, but they still are looking toward the Lord and, they're, and, 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 you know, things like that can happen. But when you've got somebody that's like, well, I'm living for the Lord, bless God, but their life and their fruit don't really show it, then there's a problem. Matthew 18, verse 15 says, If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault. Hey, brother, I just noticed something, and uh, I don't believe this is really what the Lord would have us to do. Not with a, not with a, a finger of judgment or condemnation, but in love. If they listen to you, you have won them over. That's great. How many people know that there are people that will listen? But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen, even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Now that was pretty bad. Um... I think tax collectors still probably today has the connotation that it had then, but pagans there were just like the most ungodly people you can think of that worship idols, and there's they're they're just, you know, they're just um, they're just heathens. They're just far away from God, not even interested in the things of God. And why is that? Why is it that, that Jesus Himself said, if somebody is sinning like that and they won't listen and they refuse to change, then Take some other people. Take it to the church and say, hey, these people won't live according to the word of God. Why is that important? Because sin is like a cancer. Sin is like a cancer. 
And if it's okay for one person, it's okay for somebody else. And they'll say, well, they're doing it, and nobody's saying anything, so it must be okay. I remember one time when I was in uh, about seventh grade, one boy got a bright idea, and he decided to shoot a rubber band at the teacher, hit her right in the side of the head. And she was not happy. And she didn't see who did it, but she knew which direction it came from. And she said, all right, I know it came from right over here. So you either tell me who did it or you're all getting paddles. And, and that's what they did back then. And we turned out okay. I'm just saying. Finally, the guy who did it fessed up. And get this, he was a preacher's kid. It wasn't me. But it was a preacher's kid. Nobody was going to tell it. Nobody was going to rat him out. But he did it himself. But there was a pressure there. Um, but to let something like that continue means that it's going to happen again. And it's going to happen again. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 Paul writes, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. What about that? Not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. He's saying, don't associate with those sexually immoral people. But I'm not talking about the people that are in this world, the people who are immoral, they're greedy, they're swindlers, they're idolaters. He said if that was the case, you wouldn't be associating with anybody. You'd have to get completely out of the world because these kind of people are everywhere. But Paul was saying that's not what we're talking about. Well, what are we talking about? Well, let's see. Verse 11. But now I am writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or slanderer or a drunkard or swindler. Do not even eat with such people. There it is again, what we've been talking about. Why is it important? You know, the people in the world, they don't know better. But the people in the church are supposed to know better. They're supposed to know that you're not supposed to blatantly live in sin. And, and sin should be something that we feel so uncomfortable with that we just have to go the other direction. And we feel uncomfortable when we are around people that just blatantly sin. It's not something that makes us feel... If we have lost our sensitivity to sin, I pray that we go back to the altar and we say, God, make me sensitive to you and your heart. Make me so uncomfortable being around sin that, that it just is so uncomfortable that I just, I just want to relish the time and, and get back as quickly as I can to fellowshipping in your presence with your people and in, your, in, in our prayer closet, in our prayer time. Do not even eat with such people. That's pretty strong. Not talking about those who have no knowledge of Christ or profession of faith, but those who claim to be brothers and sisters, but willingly still indulge in sin. So Jesus said, go to those people, talk to them. And sometimes 
That may seem like one of the most difficult things to do, but you are empowered to do it. You're empowered to do that. Jesus said to do it. What more do you need than the scripture, the son of God, Jesus, your savior, your soon coming king saying, go do this. In the same way, it's the same thing when, when and I mentioned this, on, I think on Sunday where we were talking about unforgiveness or maybe it was the week before, but unforgiveness where you're supposed to go to someone. Jesus said, I don't want your offering. If you, if you have something against somebody else, you need to go make it right with them before you even talk to me. I've, had, I've, I've, I've told people, I remember one, one experience I had with somebody and I said, you need to go to that person and you need to talk to them, talk to them. And they just flat out told me, I'm not going to do that. I can't make them do what the word says. I can just tell them what it says. But we're empowered to do that. Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 3 says, But the Lord is faithful. How many are grateful for that? The Lord is faithful. And he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord that you are doing well and will continue to do the things we command. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love with Christ's perseverance. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away, here it is again, from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching that you have received from us. In other words, those people who profess to be believers, but they are disruptive, they are idle, and they don't live according to the word of God. Do you get the picture? That several times in scripture, this same thing comes up. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food. Idle is another word for lazy. Lazy. God didn't call Christians to be lazy. We should be some of the most hardworking people that exists. He said, uh, we were not idle when we were, when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling so that we would not be a burden to any of you. It's almost like, you know, somebody coming over to your house you know, how many have ever been on vacations where you got family members, you got friends, and you're like, well, because we, because we know that you've got an extra place that we can stay, we don't have to pay for a hotel. If you've ever done that, I mean, we've done it. We, we did it this last summer, you know, because, because we have a relative that lived in Arizona. And if James, you're watching, hi, thank you. And Carla, uh, we appreciate it. Uh, you know, but we, but you know, lodging is expensive. But it would be, it would be presumptuous on anybody's part to say, well, I'm just going to come and stay with you for a while. And, and they're welcome to do that. And then they're going to be a slob and a leech while they're there. It like, it doesn't make any sense. It's like, oh, well, yeah, what are we going to eat? What are you going to cook for me? No, it's not that way at all. You know, I'm like, I'm grateful then I'm able to be here and I thank you for the invitation. And if you decide that you want to do something extra, but I'm not going to presume that you're going to give me room and board and just wait on me hand and foot, that would be presumptuous on my part. That would be lazy. That would be idle. 
In verse 9 he says, We did this not because we do not have the right for such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. He says, now we probably could have said, you know, he says, you know, we have the right, we have the right to do this. In other words, because of our position, we probably could have asked that you do more for us than we asked you to do. But because we wanted to be an example for other people, we wanted to make sure you saw what we were doing. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. Well, there's a lot of people today that would just starve if that was the case. I'll just leave that one there. Verse 11, we hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. He's talking again about the church. They are not busy. They are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. As for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. So, for those that are lazy and those that just stir up stuff, he said, just settle down and start earning your keep. Start doing some stuff. That's, that's worthy of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 14, he says, Take special note of anyone who does not obey our instructions, our instruction in this letter. Do not associate with them in order that they may feel ashamed. Yet do not regard them as the enemy, but warn them as you would a fellow believer. And, and, and so that's what he's saying again. There's that do not associate with them because of the close friendships, but make them understand what's going on. Point those things out to them. In love and respect. Our attitude in living a separated life must be one of hatred toward sin. I mentioned this earlier. Hatred toward unrighteousness and the world system as well as a willingness to live a separated life based on the word of God. Not anyone else's life. When we live a separated life unto the Lord... We will show the perseverance of our faith, our purity, and our love for God, which will show our undivided heart so that we will be light in a dark and unbelieving world. That's the reason, so that we can be the light that people need to see. In verse 17 of our text that we started out with, he said, Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing and I will receive you. And I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Be separate. Touch no unclean thing. How do we know if it's unclean? Unclean is morally or spiritually impure. If there's a doubt about what is unclean, then just leave it alone. Don't have anything to do with it. It's not, what can I still do and be a Christian? That's not the question. The question is, Lord, I want to be so close to you and I want to be led by your spirit. And if I do anything that is displeasing to you, I want you to let me know. Not the other way around. Lord, hit me on the head with a two by four. No, make me so sensitive on the inside that I'll just know right off the outset. I didn't plan on doing this, but I've said this a few times before. Um, Christians shouldn't go to the casinos 
And if you do, then I believe that if you pray um, and ask if that's where the Lord would want you to go, he probably would say no. I, I know someone that says, I use the casino as just entertainment. I take 20 bucks in, I spend it just like I would go to a movie or anywhere else. And when the 20 bucks is gone, I'm done, I leave. It's no big deal. Well, that might be the case for that individual. Now, I'm not going to stand here and tell you that you're going to split hell wide open if you go to the casino. I'm not going to tell you that at all. Any more than some of the other addictive behaviors, and gambling is addictive behavior. There's signs all over that say, gambler's hotline, call here. There are people that lose all kinds of things, monetarily, relationships, because of their addiction to their addiction. Their addiction to gambling. But what happens as being an example and a follower of Jesus Christ, what that means is that people look at our lives to see what is it? What's okay? If you're a Christian, then I should be able to look at your life and see that what you do in your daily life is acceptable to God. And if, if I'm seeing you do things that are acceptable to God, I should be able to do the same things that you do and know that they're acceptable to God because that's you're my witness. I mean, I'm, I'm the witness of what your life is. Living for God is a careful life because we have to take meaning, we have to take care in how we live. And so if someone sees me going into a casino and spending money on a slot machine or whatever else they do in there um, and come out, they're going to think, well, if he did it, it must be okay. And I'm going to go in there and I'm going to do that, except I have a little more desire than he had. And I can't stop at $20. I, I've got to spend more. I've got to go to the ATM and I've got to get more than what have I done is I have allowed my actions to be a stumbling block for someone else who can be addicted to something that is so detrimental. And I refuse to be that stumbling block. Anyway, that was all free. In verse 18, he says, He will be a father which means that God will assume all oversight in many ways that an earthly father would accept that he guards, he guides, and he watches over us in light of eternity. Let him be the heavenly father to you that he wants to be. And in verse 7, chapter 7, verse 1, he says, Therefore we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and soul, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Chapter 7, verse 1. Therefore, let, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. 
What does it mean to purify ourselves? It means to make a clean break from every ungodly compromise and to continually resist the sinful desires of the body. Our old sins and habits that will never bring us closer to the Lord. But to make a clean break. And there's not a lot that's really talked about in that realm. When we repent, it means that we turn away from something. We turn away from sin and we turn toward God. That is why it's so critical and important for us in order to live separated unto the Lord. Part of the reason I, didn't, I couldn't really bring that demonstration to is I couldn't figure out how to take the egg that's all mixed up and separate it again. But I believe that God can reach down into all that mess and he can say, I'm bringing you out and restoring you to how you should be. And you're going to be separated to me. So we've gotten jumbled up in our, our, our acceptance of the world. I'm talking to believers. I'm talking to men and women of God who have made a commitment to follow Jesus Christ. Is our commitment really to come out and be separate? That's what we're supposed to be. There's something different about somebody who lives a separated life. Something different about them. There's something different in the way they walk, in the way they talk, in the way they dress, and in the way they act. What are you talking about in the way they dress? Let me just say, Christians are supposed to be modest. If you think that it's a good thing for more of your skin to show, you're mistaken. Because if it promotes someone else looking at parts of your body that entices and, and, and causes other thoughts that shouldn't be there, that's not godly. I've never preached the clothesline. I, I've, never, I've never said you got to, you know, I've, I've, I've seen been in churches where they preach where you got to wear long sleeves, you got to wear long clothes, and you got to have it buttoned way up to here, and you got to have short hair, and you got to have this, and you got to have that. But yet, there's some people that still will go out, and their tongue is just as long as can be, longer than the clothes that they wear. And it's not about the legalism, but it's about glorifying Jesus Christ and lifting him up. I'm going to close with this verse in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. You've heard this scripture, no doubt, many times. But you take your stand against the devil's schemes by putting on the complete armor of God, not leaving anything out. Don't settle for just the helmet of salvation. And that's the most important part. But sometimes people put down their defenses and they say, well, I'm a Christian. And there's a scripture that talks about people just basically getting to heaven by the skin of their teeth. They're talking about, you know, they really didn't live a, a, a committed life to the Lord, but they were saved. They didn't really live an, an exemplary life for the Lord, should we say. But they had trusted in the Lord, so they're saved. I don't want to get to heaven and just say, Lord, I barely made it in, and I'm so glad I'm here. But what can we do for Jesus Christ? And I believe if we live separated unto the Lord, that's a start for how the rest of our lives will go.
Put on the armor of God. Keep it all on. Don't take it off for anyone or anything. And it will enable us to live a separated life to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word tonight. And I thank you for who you are. I thank you for touching us like no one else can. Lord, you've called us to be holy. You've called us to live a separated life. You've called us to live a careful life. We've studied your scriptures tonight about the expectations of the people who call themselves children of God. Those who identify as Christians. Lord, you've identified some hard things that sometimes we may have to do. But God, in light of eternity, Lord, we can accomplish all of these things according to your word. Lord, if we've allowed ourselves to kind of been uh, lost our sensitivity to sin because of culture and the surroundings and we accept things today that we wouldn't have accepted five or ten years ago. God, help us purify our hearts one more time, oh God. Let us be closer to you than we've ever been before. Let what disturbs you disturb us, oh God. Lord, let us be burdened with the lost. Let us sense that they need you more than anything else. Lord, I believe that according to your word, Lord, the judgment starts at the house of God. It starts right here. It starts within us. Let us not look to anybody else's life on how they live, but let us look to you and concentrate on how we, how we live. I thank you, God, because you have called us to that closer walk with you than ever before. I praise you for it right now. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. We still have a little bit of time before the young people get out. I'm going to say a prayer to those who have joined us online, and then we're going to pray here in the house. The, those of you who wonder what happens after the live feed stops, you'll have to come to church and find out. Um, amen. Lord, I thank you for those that have tuned in right now and have joined us online. I pray, God, that, Lord, every life that's there that needs healing, that needs a touch, that needs deliverance, Lord, will just reach out to you right now. We pray healing upon them. Lord, every infirmity, we curse it in the name of Jesus and we claim your healing touch. Lord, as we committed our lives to you and we ask, oh God, that you would just allow your sweet presence to come down. Lord, I thank you for the spirit of encouragement that comes down and reaches and touches inside deeply right where they are right now. Lord, we receive that in the name of Jesus. Lord, I dispel all anxiety, all fear, and I just concentrate fully and wholly upon you because you are the light that dispels every darkness that the enemy will try to bring. I thank you for it and praise you for it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.